0: Agnostics, long-haired weirdos,
1: short-haired weirdos, The government the government love, the government the government love, the government the government. Welcome to the Politics Guys, the place for a bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baronowski, a professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart, Cleveland area attorney Jay Carson. Hey, Mike. Hey, Jay. And we are also joined today by a special guest, uh, Olivia, who many of you will remember from our recent Election 2020 series. Olivia is a smart, young, progressive woman, and Jay and I are are almost none of those things, certainly. (laughs) And uh, I thought it would be great to have her on the show with us so that listeners could get uh, another perspective, uh, sort of in uh, addition to the classic Jay and Mike take on things. So, Olivia, welcome. Welcome.
2: Thank you. Hi, everybody.
1: (laughs) And also, I should mention, Olivia will be joining us on our Supporters Midweek Show, which this week we're going to be making available to everyone, regardless of whether or not you're a Patreon supporter. And that will be up the morning of Wednesday, February 17th. You can find it at patreon.com slash politicsguys. And finally, before I hand things off to Jay today, I want to pass along a, well, I guess I'd call it a hardware update, which is, Probably a first for this show, I imagine. But for years now, our primary uh, post-production machine has been this ThinkPad laptop that I sort of pressed into service and really doesn't work all that well, but I kind of made it work with wires and cords and things, you know. So anyway, it's this whole thing. But it's ending its serviceable lifespan, and so we're hoping to replace it with something more capable. And early this week, when I went on our supporters' Discord group asking for advice on you know, what maybe we should get... Uh, They actually suggested I start a campaign to try and raise the money we'll need for a new system. And, uh, you know, this is from people who are already supporting the show on Patreon and were willing to contribute more for this, which, wow, just reminded me of what great listeners – we have, and so far we've already gotten generous contributions from a number of supporters, including Tucker, Jeff, Dustin, Daniel, Jeff, Anna, Alex, and Andra. I think that's everyone. If I missed anyone wow, so far, that's yeah, crazy. I, I know. It's what I'm saying. So, it's been really great. It's made a huge dent. We're we're more than halfway to where we need to be, and so. If you would like to help us out with this, you can do that either through uh PayPal or now we actually were set up on Venmo. I finally Venmo, we've finally gotten into the 21st century here. Um you'll find a PayPal support link in the show notes or you can go to politicsguys.com slash support. And on Venmo, we're at politics guys. So there you go. With that, Jay, why don't you go ahead and kick us off?
0: Well, yeah, Mike. Uh i will We will lead off with uh, if it's late january early, early february we must we must be impeaching president trump um, so this week uh, heard the uh, essentially the most of of the uh, house uh, uh, managers case against President Trump and a very sort of short and truncated uh defense of of President Trump. The House managers focused uh, on the broader issues uh the the uh the the horrendous uh violence of the the, of the insurrection uh they showed videos that had not been seen before uh they introduced a timeline showing what happened when Um, uh and there was it seemed to be a very emotional appeal and it, it actually it appeared that uh some senators were emotional uh during this presentation um the defense focused uh, narrowly well i should i should i should say the defense started with its uh, argument that this is essentially free speech uh and that uh trump's words at the rally did not uh, amount to incitement so and that and focused on that that narrow issue um as as you would expect sort of a defense in the criminal trial to do um, and you know throughout this uh You know, Mike, it's it's been sort of a, I think, an an uphill battle looking at actually getting getting the votes based on uh, where we were before. And I'm I'm trying to recall in our last show that the vote the vote hadn't taken place. I don't think on the constitutionality issue we talked about it. I think, but I don't think it happened yet. Um, And uh, on on that vote, uh, I believe uh, six Republicans. Uh, joined Democrats indicating that they believed that the Senate had the constitutional authority to impeach a former president. Um, so that gives you a little bit of a preview of where things are uh, and in the sense of if you only can get six on the uh, even the ability to hold a trial, your your likelihood of getting more for an actual conviction is would seem pretty slim. Um, but, you know, with that, I mean, I, I could go through a whole lot of um, sort of who said what but i i guess i'll I'll you know pitch it over to you, Mike um, and Olivia uh, to talk about what what stood out? Where do you think we go from here um, uh and and what do you think happens next the 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 um we anticipate obviously there may actually be a uh, vote by the time some people hear this uh, House Democrats are making their closing arguments uh, this afternoon, um, so if you're tuning in later in the week, uh, this may be old news but fire away mike
1: well uh yeah i guess most people probably will hear this after the inevitable acquittal uh, and and before i get into my various thoughts on that i thought we could go ahead and lead off with with, with our guest our special guest olivia yeah. what what stood out uh, to you this week
2: um first thing i guess you know starting with a negative <laughs> um but i guess I'm kind of just astounded by Trump's defense team playing um, what seemed like campaign footage. Um, I I don't think it's um, anything new for like the Trump style. But when I'm you know, the defense footage that they used was, you know, I I, I know a lot of people have made fun of it already, but it was um, basically comparing Trump um saying like he you know he's all about law and order and he respects police officers and then comparing it to um biden or like nancy pelosi um and like progressive liberal leaning celebrities um using the terms fight and um kind of encouraging black lives matter to protest and um just number one this use of like false equivalency with black lives matter um and comparing him to these other people who are not the president um, and people who did, you know, their words, um, though they might have used the words fight, they it did not lead to an insurrection. Um, but even then, even if like Nancy Pelosi, even if her words did lead to um, some kind of riots or some kind of violence, I don't know how that doesn't make Trump guilty. Um, I don't know how them comparing it or throwing it on Biden and Nancy Pelosi makes Trump any less guilty of what happened. Um, so I just thought, you know, their defense, footage was kind of ridiculous and laughable. Um, and then as for, I guess, the house managers, um, you know, like Jay said, I think they've done a really great job at, um, kind of sparking emotion and showing just how, um, showing how violent the rioters were, how uh, intent they were on causing harm, um, to officials like Mike Pence and Nancy Pelosi. Um, and, um, you know, even how close I uh, just just how close so many uh, Romney, so many were to um, to the riots. But um, I, I think, you know, I don't think that their fight like hell statement or, you know, Trump's fight like hell um, is enough. You know, I think that's what they really have to prove is that even though he didn't. Um, he didn't respond the way that a president should have um, after the riots began, and he refused to kind of call off the rioters, um, you know, at the the midst of the danger. Um, I don't think that, you know, just those that footage of him saying fight like how we have to fight. Um, there's absolutely no way that that's going to convince um, 17 Republicans to vote to convict.
1: Yeah, I, I- I agree with I agree with that, you know, and the fight. Well, there's certainly more than a little bit of whataboutism there. But as I've always said, well, that doesn't necessarily mean that what the president did was okay. It just means that it's never okay. But I, I suppose my take on this is we need to look at it in two separate well, at least in two separate ways it first there is the incitement to riot element and jay you and i talked about this last week and you know fight like hell yeah I, you know i agree that the defense points out that well fight like hell that sort of thing that that language is used by both the left and the right and it's it's problematic in making that case when the president also says uh peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard that that You know, that's that that
0: doesn't really suggest that's that's what we call in the law a bad fact.
1: (laughs) There you go. But but there's the second part. Of this, and this is the part to me that's much more troubling, and that's the what did what did President Trump know and when did he know it about the riding? and what came out this week pretty clearly I think is that based on what Senator Tuberville has said and certainly he's been a big fan of Donald Trump right that that actually the president knew what was going on after uh, even after he knew what was going on he sent that tweet. It looks like about uh, how Mike, Mike Pence was, you know, did not have the courage to do the right thing after right. he had and been at this told. Point,
0: yeah, Mike Pence had just been evacuated from, yeah. from the Senate.
1: And the president yeah. now we we can't say for sure, because the president's own attorney said, well, we don't know where he was or what he was doing because there wasn't enough time to find out or some such nonsense about that. And that to me. That to me is the real uh, the element that people should be really concerned about because based on the evidence that we have, it seems more likely than not – that Donald Trump knew that the Capitol was being overrun by, by rioters. And he would he'd been asked by multiple Republicans, including the uh, uh, minority leader M- McCarthy, to intervene, to do something. And at one point, apparently he said to, he said to McCarthy, well, I guess they're more they're more concerned about the election than you are. <laughs> and that if that is not dereliction of duty. I don't know. I don't know what is. And on those grounds alone, you would think that someone who supposedly cares about the Constitution like Rand Paul would put down his pen and stop doodling pictures of the Capitol and stand up and say, you know what, as a good constitutional conservative, I cannot I cannot allow this to stand. But of course. Rand Paul's a a lost cause at this point. As Mike, Mike, you're you're
0: assuming that that President Trump just sits around and watches TV news. I I think that's I. I, There's hardly any evidence for that. Exactly. (laughs)
1: Exactly.
0: Um, No, I. You know, look. I I go back to where we were a couple weeks ago, and where um, uh, Andrew McCarthy uh, from National Review has has been for some time on that if if the democrats the house democrats had framed this in the broader terms of of dereliction of duty a gross dereliction of duty uh or i think there's probably a bunch other thing of other things you could you could probably have have called this um aside from uh inciting a riot, um and uh, i think it was uh, who was it who said premeditated murder uh, that that really sort of overstates uh it. i i think you i think they'd be giving um republican senators a tougher vote. Uh i th- i think you you might have a uh, uh i still don't know that you get there. I still don't know that you get the 17.
1: Except they wouldn't. They wouldn't because uh, almost well almost all of the republican senators decided that right on the actually, constitutionality So issue. so yeah. yeah, I mean they decided they weren't going to vote on that basically. Well, that-
0: but also consider consider and I think you're right. I think you're right on that. Um but consider there's a weird sort of thing right where the the Senate sort of uh considers the constitutionality along with you know well, they see the charges first, you know <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's it's I, I, but I think you're right and i i think to to both your points um when you have a proceeding like this where the the end result is not really in doubt uh what you get is is essentially a show trial and you get a lot of a show so i to the extent that uh, Olivia was talking that some of this stuff seemed not relevant and seemed uh, like as you pointed point out what about ism um, that's sort of be to be expected. Right. Uh, it's, it's, everybody's just putting on a campaign commercial a little bit because you know how, you know, how it's going to end. Um, I do think, you know, on, on the um, uh, Trump legal team, I, I think the, the, so for example, the, the first amendment argument, uh, I would say is, is really a non-starter from a from a legal standpoint. Right. Uh, the free speech argument. But I think it it does uh, play kind of well politically. Um, you know, they sort of uh, made this a sort of a, a cancel culture type type issue
1: i, I gotta um, say on that jay i i practically detached my retinas rolling my eyes so much when yeah. they were talking about the you are you are silencing you know 75 right. million trump voters at oh just
0: right. no 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 and, and I'm, I'm i'm i agree with you i think it's i think it's silly and i don't think it it um it it speaks to the actual incitement issue or a dereliction of duty issue um but my, I'm I'm just pointing out that's that's what you get right on in this kind of in this kind of show. Um, they did focus, and and I think I I would take a little issue with with Olivia on this on some of the, you know the with the use of of words like fight and by other folks. Uh, yeah, it's sort of what but it's also uh, what they're doing is showing that these terms are used in sort of it's common common parlance in in campaign speak and in rallies and 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 uh political rhetoric that you say, "Oh, yeah, let's go out there and fight, uh but rarely does it result in in people actually physically fighting um so i i mean I, I think that's you know their intent there was to was two, one, one to kind of score the political points of look what these guys do, but also there is a legal point there in saying uh these words in and of themselves. Uh, are are commonly used and are commonly used as as metaphors for you know taking appropriate political action. Um, so I, I think that's an okay defense tactic, uh, and I think you know look what what they what they do by by limiting their defense to that uh, is they give a lot of Republican senators an out, uh, notwithstanding the constitutional piece of it. Uh, to say, look, uh, they came in here telling us they were going to prove he incited a riot, and gosh, it just doesn't look like he he did. Um, we can't point to anything uh, his his words at that rally inciting a riot, and, and I think they're right. Um, uh, and and again, goes back to my point that I think if if you really wanted to impeach him, the better approach would have been that broader broader articles of impeachment, which included like a dereliction of duty.
1: Yeah. I I wanted to also touch on Joe Biden's uh, role or non-role in all this. His line, I think, this last week is, I've got a job to do. I'm not going to be watching this sort of thing. And I, there maybe are some people who felt that President Biden should have weighed in a little bit more on this. I mean, certainly he's not been shy about saying he thought Donald Trump was. <laughs> Gosh, where,
0: where do you think he stands on it, Mike? No,
1: well, I don't, know. <laughs> well, Olivia. Well, what do you think about that? Do you think that, that the president should have should have made more of a stand on this or or not?
2: Um. Yeah. So, just really quick. First of all, um, kind of back to what Jay was saying about um, you know the problem with, um, with the Democrats framing this as, uh, you know, whether or not Trump incited a riot. Um, I do want to just add that, like I, as a viewer, um, who's been watching this trial, um, you know, obviously we know that there's no way that 17 Republican senators are going to vote to convict no matter what the evidence was and no matter how the Democrats framed it, I don't think they would have voted to convict. Um, but I do agree 100% that, um, you know, even I, as a viewer, and I can't stand Trump, like I'd love to see him convicted. But I'm even having trouble seeing, um, you know, how he directly incited a riot. I, you know, the but not rule, you know, kind of helped like when I was thinking about, OK, well, but not for Trump. This wouldn't have happened. And that that's absolutely true. But um, I, I totally agree there that I'm, you know, I'm kind of feeling like they've. There's a whole lot of evidence that um, he neglected his presidential duty after the riots had already begun. Um, And I think they have a much stronger case there than they do of saying that he just that he actually incited the riot. But um, as for uh, Biden, I I actually really appreciate, you know, we, like you said, we know where he stands. Um, but his actual quote when he was asked about it, that he has a job and that um, he's focusing on getting, you know, number one, COVID um, relief passed um, because we have already lost 450,000 Americans and people are grieving and there's more pe- more lives are going to be lost. Um, and so many people are struggling financially because of this. Um, and that's his main focus. That's something very presidential to say. Um, and it's really refreshing because we know that if this was a Democratic president on trial, Trump would be um, all over it. Trump would be constantly tweeting and speaking out about it you know, and, and the way that he even criticizes Obama all the time, who's not on trial. So, um, you know, I, I think that it's very presidential and very professional of Biden to not be trying, you know, getting into the drama when he actually has a job to do. And I think it's, um, it makes me feel better that we have a president who's focusing on his duties, and not on, um, you know, making his predecessor, um, you know, not on contributing to his predecessor looking bad. I, I love for Trump to to look bad. And I love for people to say bad things about him. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, he's yeah. right. He has a job to do and he has people to protect. And we've already lost 450,000 Americans. And I think it says a lot about him and his character that that's where his priorities are and not, a you know, mudslinging against his predecessor.
1: You know, Jay, I, I wanted to bring back up a point that, well, a point that you made in a sense, you said, you know, if the Democrats, if they, they could have written the article different. We talked about this last week and if they'd wanted a conviction, you know, the thought occurred to me, well, do Democrats in Congress want actually a conviction? Now this is getting, this is kind of getting into Jay cynical mode, but I I would
0: say absolutely not. Well,
1: exactly. My, my (laughs) thinking here is that if there is a, if there if they wrote it based on that article, if assuming again, this is the assumption that, well, Republicans would have allowed it to to go through on the con on the, the fake constitutionality issue, which by the way, I'm gonna I'm gonna utter a sentence that I probably never have before on the podcast. I I may never again. Constitutionality. No, no, no. no, no. The sentence is, you got to give Ted Cruz credit. Now, that's a weird, I I almost feel like I need to wash out my (laughs) mouth. But here's what I mean. Ted Cruz this last week said, you know what, I think it's constitutional. But really, this is a matter of jurisdiction. And does the Senate want to exercise its jurisdiction here? And, you know, I think that was a That's exactly right. You know, and again, Ted Cruz is exactly right. That's another sentence I never thought I'd utter. But but there you go. Give credit where credit is due. And uh, but but putting that aside, I think you can make the case that it's better for the Democratic Party if Donald Trump is out there as a potential candidate in 2024, causing causing havoc potentially in being Donald Trump, as opposed to if there's a conviction and if there were a conviction, there certainly would be a vote, a majority vote to bar him from future office. There's no question about that. Then that actually takes him out of the picture to a certain extent and maybe gives Democrats less to run on. And so in a really sort of cynical way, you can say, well, why? why was this article drawn up in a way that seems to be not ideal for a
0: conviction well you know you can you can make that argument now you're getting it, Mike. now you're finally yes um no i would say not not only is it is it a matter of donald trump running or not running um but what it does is it makes it more likely right It, it makes it a a tough vote for republicans who have republicans looking at them republicans in the senate um to vote in, in, in a primary that would be against a Republican that would be played as, look, this guy voted, said Trump incited a riot. What are you crazy? Look at the evidence. Of course he didn't. Um, whereas again, a couple years down the road, uh, Democrats will be able to frame this as, uh, Senator X, uh, despite Trump's gross dereliction of duty, chose not to impeach him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think,
0: uh... I mean, I think that's, I think that's where it's, where it's, where it's useful. And, and look, I mean, none of these people are dumb and, um, I shouldn't say none of them, but uh, right. I mean, this, this is how the, the game is, is played. And there are a lot of times where especially if you know you just don't have the numbers, what you want to do is just force a, a difficult vote that you can use against somebody in elect them down the road.
1: And I think we should call out—I don't know if you call it a profile in courage exactly—but uh, Senator Bill Cassidy, right from Louisiana, uh, he was that yeah, that sixth vote to go ahead and say that this was constitutional. I don't know how he's going to vote on the actual uh, on the actual charge. I he's, ex- yeah,
0: he's he said a couple of times he has to write it out and sort of think it through himself and and so forth. He seems to be doing a thoughtful. Thoughtful job of it. He was photographed, though, and there there was a he had a copy of what appeared to be like a draft press release that says that prosecutors failed to connect the dots.
1: Yeah. Um, But but at any point, you know,
0: it it made me think about that. Political courage issue,
1: and I, I would say one thing that's bipartisan is a lack of political courage. Actually, now Bill Cassidy, I should point out, is in a unique position. He he won in November by uh, around forty so percent. It was uh, about as yeah. cruising to victory as you you get. And there are indications that he may not be running again. And you know. A lot of people are also talking about Mitch McConnell because there's a good chance that this is Mitch McConnell's last term and people saying, well, you know, it's been odd that he's been so up in the air and he was, you know, even his own staff reportedly don't know how he's going to vote. And he's thinking you know, about his legacy and he's this proud institutionalist and sees himself as and, a modern he Henry is, Clay. Yeah, and, and he
0: has reportedly also you know, told senators this is a vote of conscience, yeah. again, like much like uh mccarthy uh did in the house that look he's not he's not whooping votes for support it's sort of you you're on your own yeah and
1: i i just think all of that maybe i'm wrong and if i'm wrong next week or, or the week after when i'm on the show again i will say i was wrong but i think that's garbage i think mitch mcconnell is going to vote uh is going to it would never i, I don't oh, think i think gonna, he will too yeah. no no
0: no don't, don't get me wrong I, I i don't uh mistake that that's how he's gonna yeah. vote but what i'm saying is i I think there you might pick up maybe a couple more um, than the, the six you had. Um, maybe. Oh, I, gosh, again, I think maybe yeah. you stick to the six. But but the sense will be, look, there's there there will be, at least for Mitch McConnell, uh, no repercussions against those. six. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Let, let's 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 talk about that. The vote. I think there's going to be I think there'll be fewer than five. I think there will maybe be three. Republicans, uh, if if that maybe maybe Romney, uh, I I think Romney will be one of them, you know, and and maybe Collins and uh, maybe Murkowski, but again, I don't I don't think there's going to be more than three. That's my prediction. Uh, one zero to three uh, voting <laughs> to convict. Actually, uh, what, what about what about you, Olivia? Do you think any Republicans are going to sign on to the uh, since we only got six to be able to say it was constitutional? Do you think any are going to vote to convict?
2: Well, uh, I think Romney, maybe, Um only because of, you know, number one, his track record with Trump, but then also, you know, the actual footage of how close he got um, to and to harm's way like that has to make him emotional. And I think, you know, maybe um, there's a chance with him, but even Collins, I don't know. Um, Collins, she didn't even vote to impeach last time, did she?
1: Uh I don't believe nope, so. Nope. Romney yeah. was the only one who on the first impeachment right. voted uh, on one of the charges. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I don't I mean, she's I know that she's criticized Trump several times, but I don't I don't know. Look, looking at her track record, even I don't I feel I feel like somewhat confident about Romney, but I don't know about anybody else. I'll be like pleasantly surprised (laughs) with anyone else who does. So I
0: I, I think you get I think you get uh, Collins, Murkowski, Romney and um, maybe Cassidy.
1: Yeah, I I, I don't see that. But here's here's
0: me again. I say Collins because she was just reelected. Right. And I think that gives you a little bit of a buffer. Right. She's not going to have to run for six years. So
1: see here, here here's where I want to get really sort of machiavellian on this is uh, what, what you do is you you tell Manchin, go ahead and vote to acquit, but also vote to remove the filibuster and that kind of that's sort of your trade off and so when Manchin, if he runs again he could say well i voted to I voted to acquit the president, but uh, you know that's that's way too way too uh, machiavellian i no, think i don't think so.
0: anybody takes i don't think he takes that deal no maybe not but
1: you know one other thing though i on more on the political courage thing. It's it's interesting to me that when we – it's maybe not a question of courage. It's a matter of following the electorate. There was a survey that came out earlier this – or about a week ago – uh, 69% of Republicans said they'd be less likely to vote for a candidate in their state if they found Trump guilty. And 56% said they'd be much less likely to do so. And, and so, you know, I think a lot of Republican senators are just looking at the numbers. I mean, only 12% of Republicans feel that nationwide feel that the Senate should find him guilty. and And actually, Less than half of all voters find believe that Trump should be found guilty. So if you're just going by the polling here, doing what your constituents want, if you want to pitch it that way, well, on balance, you'd say, well, the the people don't seem to want this. And you can you can rationalize it just kind of doing what the people want. I don't know, but. But also, Republican somewhere around seventy percent of Republican voters said they'd like to see Donald Trump run again in twenty twenty four. And if that isn't a matter of concern after January sixth, I I don't know what is. And and I'm wondering, Jay, do you think this is just a name recognition thing or, or or what? Because wow, that's a that's pretty disturbing to me uh, on the face of it.
0: Yeah, I I think it's also just a little bit of a a push back a reflexive, uh, defensiveness, um, you know, of, of, uh, you mean, so what's the
1: capital insurrection? Uh, you know, Hey, he, uh, Twitter took him off.
0: No, no, no. Um, I think it's, it's more a, a thing of this, you're called by a pollster, right. And you're a, a strong Republican. Okay. And, and the, the call was, you know, you know, look, they, you obviously know where that call is coming from. You know, that, you know, they, the answer they want you to give, um, but there's sort of a a you know i think it's i think it's just sort of the middle finger in the air type thing as opposed to a an endorsement of a particular candidate right
1: yeah. Yeah, I I guess I can I can see that, but in light of you know especially seeing being reminded again of what exactly happened, and you know Olivia points out that that but if and certainly even if Donald Trump didn't directly incite this, it would not have happened without him and without his pattern of out and out lying for for years and lying you know uh, about the election and saying that you know there's no way that I can lose unless it's rigged and that sort of thing, and if that in and of itself is not this disqualifying but but i guess the argument is if the voters don't see fit to disqualify anyone based on that then we've we're pretty much sunk as a country i don't know but uh well
0: i i think you may be a little 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 pessimistic there um
2: no i i agree i'm pessimistic <laughs> too it's like oh it's frightening to me i just and, and i think you know i get the middle finger in the air like for some people i get that it's kind of like you know Um, Nothing liberals hate more than Trump. And, you know, I get that. But at the same time, you know, the the cult like loyalty that we've seen to Trump and, you know, I 100 percent believe that half of the trucks that I see with Trump flags on them are doing it more so to make me upset. (laughs) People like me upset than because they actually are really that involved in politics or care that much about Trump.
0: Olivia, I think you're exactly right.
2: (laughs) Yes. But, but still, you know, these people, there was the story of the woman who um, was saying that she had to tell her kids her, her husband was going to uh, participate in the insurrection. And she had that conversation with her kids, like daddy might not come home. Um, And, these people genuinely believed, first of all, that shows that they knew violence was likely to happen. Um, And it was, you know, probably premeditated. But second, that um, people were willing to literally risk their lives for this president. um, Well, former president at the time. So I don't know. I definitely think there are the people who are like, you know, I like upsetting liberals and this is, you know, waving a Trump flag is how to do it. Um, But at the same time, there are also people who are like, dangerously loyal, devout Trump supporters who I I really do think um, would like to see him president again in the future. Yeah.
1: One other issue, you know, that occurred to me, it's sort of related to this is when we look at a lot of the people who were willing to make sort of make those tough votes, if you will, votes of conscience and not be looking at the poll, they tend to be they tend to be uh, older and they tend to be folks who maybe are not going to run again and not being able to run again or not running again, retiring sort of gives you a freedom to do things, to vote your conscience in a way that, you know, you can't necessarily, if you're looking over your shoulder and thinking about the next election, that ties into sort of a, a broader question about the kind of the gerontocracy that's ruling, especially in the, uh, in, in the democratic in the Democratic Party, it seems like, Jay, we've been we've been following politics forever and boomers have pretty much been running politics our entire lives. And I know. We're, we're no spring chickens, right? It's uh, time for a change. Mike. You know, you know, but, you know, and so I'm, yeah, I'm Olivia,
0: running. keep in mind, Mike and I used to be when we were your age, we were screaming about the old people who were who were running the country. And we're still um, doing that. They're still there. Exactly <laughs> the same people. Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: and, and so, you know, I've I, for a long time, I have been an opponent of term limits because I think, uh, generally speaking, research done at least at the state level finds that the biggest effect of term limits is that they make lobbyists more powerful because, you know, you lose that institutional word. But I think more and more I'm starting to believe that done the right way, that say, for instance, you make a case for four terms for a senator, that's 24 years, or 10 terms for a House member, 20 years, that I don't know. I, a constitutional amendment were, were to come up like that. I might, uh, you know, when I, when I'm in the Senate representing Ohio in 2023, I might, I might find myself wanting to vote for that. I, and I was wondering, uh, especially Olivia, since, you know, you're going to have to live with the boomers. God only knows they're going to start yeah. replacing major organs and things. And, you know, they could be around mm. for another 20 years. God help us. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, I, I- I absolutely um, am a fan of the idea of term limits, um, but I think that that issue still, you know, even if it is, like you said, like a four term limit, um, I still think that, of course, for the first three terms, um, probably, uh, you know, senators aren't going to vote by conscience um, because they're they're going to be worried about reelection, even if it is just four terms. But um, as far as like the age problem, yeah, I mean, um, when you think about somebody like Mitch McConnell, um, you know, part of my biggest issue with this is that somebody like Mitch McConnell grew up and, and earned his education um, at it during, you know, a period in America that is so different than the America that I'm like earning my education in. Um, and, you know, I just somebody like Mitch McConnell's education and his idea of what it's like to, you know, be my age um, and to be an American is so dated. Um, You know, when Mitch McConnell was young, women were less likely to be in the workforce or going to college. Um, Mitch McConnell, if I'm, I, remember doing my math right, um, would have grown up during like the civil rights movement. So I just I think that's my biggest issue is that, you know, with having um, so many government officials in their late 70s and even 80s, um, you know, the America that they grew up in and were educated in is not the America that we have today. um, And they're not bringing that, you know, relevant um, you know, recent experience and education into office with them when they're, you know, voting on and, and creating legislation.
1: Yeah. And I got to say, uh, this will be my episode for saying things I never thought I'd say, but I got to give credit to the Republican Party here in Congress because they actually do have at least internally term limits for committee chairmanship. Since if you notice, if you compare the Republican and Democratic leadership, the Republican leadership is generally speaking, McConnell aside, a lot younger because they've given younger folks and younger is a relative term. We're talking about folks in their 50s, but still more of an opportunity to rise. Whereas you have a lot of, you know, strong progressives on the left who basically are left sort of without anything aside from tweeting and so forth because that, you know, the the octogenarians are – you know, holding on the power in in the uh, in the Democratic ranks, and I think that's a that's a big problem. And I think to start, I would like to see I would like to see my party, the Democratic Party, loosen that up. And uh, you know, Steny Hoyer, Nancy Pelosi, it's time to move aside and let some people I don't know some young folks in their sixties actually take some leadership positions.
2: What do you right. think, well, Jen? Like, oh, yeah, oh, so
0: sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, Olivia. Go ahead.
2: No, I'm sorry. I was just saying like with AOC, you know, that's, I don't agree with everything AOC says and does, but, you know, I think a lot of the criticism about her is like, you're super young. um, You have a background of being a bartender and this is like, you're, well, now she's just got elected for a second term, but um, why are you being out so outspoken? Like, wait your turn. Um, And I actually, that's one of the things that I think is so important and, and groundbreaking about AOC is that we need people who have a history of just, you know, being a bartender, being like a normal working citizen and being young and being able to represent people like me in my generation. Um, and I think it's great that she's being outspoken and not waiting until, you know, her 10th term to, you know, try and make a difference. I think that's really important. And I want to see more of that.
0: So Michael, I just want to wait on, on term limits. Um, so again, back when you and I were um, Olivia's age uh, and I don't, I don't mean to, to, to slight Olivia, it's more just to, to date us. Um, George will wrote a really good book on term limits um making sort of all these these same arguments and i man was i gung ho for term limits um and I thought that was the absolute solution uh then i i Ohio enacted term limits uh, in the state legislature, and I sort of lived through that um and and the experience uh did not live up to what uh George will had promised uh so I, you know my my sense is that you know what? What happened is you you had more um, legislators, exactly as, as you said, jumping into lobbying quicker, um, looking for an exit quicker. Right? That's that's something of look. If I can't keep doing this, well, I've got, I'm going to have to find another job in two years. Uh, I better make sure I'm on good terms with with uh, whomever can hire me. Uh, the other thing it would tend to do is is um, uh, concentrate more power in the executive, right? Because uh, look, if I can't run again, well, maybe I can get appointed to some sort of sweet uh, job, um, again that can help me uh, get those extra couple years I need in my pension, um, and and take it from there. Yeah, so I mean, I, I, again, I, I think if term limits in in theory are good, but in in practice, as far as I've seen, don't seem to work well. And the other the other piece of this is if you look at uh, the people who are in, say, the Ohio Legislature uh, when term limits were enacted. Um, they are largely the same people who are still there today. Uh, they just sort of bounce back and forth between the House, the Senate, some executive job, and then and then back again. Uh, you know, and I get been- that,
1: Jay, but but I think it's important to point out that the Ohio legislative term limits are eight years. Right. A, and a, there's a big difference between eight and 20 or 24. And that's why I think it's and that's why I'm sort of moving over that way, because I think, yeah, you know, most of the state legislative terms limits are like that, you know, eight years max. You see that for, you know, and and I think that's the problem is that it's maybe the right idea. But the limit is too short and you get the sort of things that you described. And so I think as a way to kind of have a little more turnover in these things, more than eight, but, you know, less than forever is maybe a, a way to go about it. But, I, yeah, I know what you're saying, and that's that's why I was very much okay. anti-term limit. So uh, – but, you know, I know we have a lot of other stuff that we need – we want to get to today, certainly. And I'm sure next week on the show that uh, Trey and Ken will have a lot to say about the acquittal of President, uh, of, of our former President Trump, certainly. But before we get to our next story, we're just going to take a quick break and we will be right back.
0: So our, our next story, Mike, kind of you uh, teased it going into the break, is uh, will there be a, a new uh, political party? Um, there were a, a Reuters broke a story last week uh, that there a, that dozens of former republican officials uh had a zoom call discussing uh whether there ought to be some sort of center right breakaway party um, possible names floated were the principled uh, conservatism conservative <laughs> party or the center right uh party um and you know I guess the this this leads into the question of, of one: Will this this actually happen? I'll give you my thoughts in just a second. But um, uh, second, ought, ought there to be one? And and I, I'd, I'd, you know, let's I, you know, I'd pitch it to Olivia first, right, to kind of get see where she is on this. Olivia, yeah, you think you think there will be a, a GOP breakaway center party?
2: Um, I don't. Mm, I think that there are probably you know enough. Um, you know, regular citizens who, you know, align with conservative values, but do not support Trump, um, who could get on board with this kind of, you know, center right party. Um, But I, my worry is that there are not enough, um, actual elected officials who would break away. Um, and I say that because, um, you know, in January polls showed that 79% of Republican voters still approved of Trump, um, just this past January. So, you know, I, I feel like seeing that what we've seen from Republicans that they kind of tend to vote more on, you know, what, what's going to be successful in garnering them support and making them electable. Um, I don't, think that you know when there are still there's still such a huge portion of the republican party that does approve of trump um you know breaking away into this smaller party that's kind of like we're republicans but not trump republicans i just don't think that they're gonna have enough support um to make it you know a feasible idea and for them for it to be worth their while of doing it
1: yeah Yeah, I mean, I I, Mike's
0: Mike's taught you. Well, that's correct.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, I think if you take a look at how people more or less break down, you can make a good case that there seem to be there. There could there are at least four major camps. Right. You have moderate and populist wings, if you want to call it that way, in both parties, certainly. You know, and there's the there's the Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren Democrats. And then there are the Joe Biden sort of Democrats. And then you have the the populist, you know, Trump, Holly. Ted Cruz sort of folks. And then you have the more establishment sort of McCarthy type of folks. But it's, you know, it's pretty clear that that This isn't going to happen, I think, because the system is rigged to support this sort of two-party duopoly and to discourage competition, which makes sense because they're the ones who pass, you know, all the election rules, right? We have first-past-to-post elections. We have almost no rank choice voting except in Maine. Uh, The electoral college is winner-take-all. Ballot access access laws are really difficult. And so all of those things really – Really make it difficult for any sort of a third party, even if you had, you know, say someone like a a Mike Bloomberg or you have, even if you had – you'd need like Zuckerberg sort of money to get this thing off the ground. But even then, because of that, it just, it just wouldn't work. It's very frustrating certainly because – there's definitely a public desire to see something different. There was a, mm-hmm. a poll in 2020. Gallup said that 57% of Americans want to see a third major party, but the deck is just stacked too much against any sort of third party. And that's why, unfortunately, it's just not going
0: to happen, even though I think it would be a good thing. Yeah. So no, Olivia's right. Mike's wrong. Um <laughs> I I think uh, and Mike, you're not. I shouldn't say shouldn't say wrong, but my sense is I don't think it has anything to do with with the deck being stacked or election rules. I think people just we're accustomed to two parties. We like two parties. Uh, we like and, two and parties. Whoa,
1: yeah. whoa, whoa! No, 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 no. no, 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 no hear me down? out. Hear
0: me out. No, I <laughs> understand. You have a poll that says would would people like to see a third party? And and of course, if your your question is uh, would you like to see a, a third party, everybody would say sure. Um, the, the second question is, okay, what is that party? And then third question is, would you vote for them? Um, and then things fall apart, right? Because everybody would like to see a third party that mirrors exactly what their views are, uh, that, that are, are more in line and less, you know, less compromises with the coalition that you have to form to have, have two big parties. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's like asking, would, would you like to see another major soft drink besides Coke and Pepsi? Well, sure. Um, Well, what should it be? But Uh, that's the point. The point is, is,
1: the point is, is that the market market competition is being artificially constrained. So people have people can vote for another drink. But unless that drink is one of the top two, you don't get to try it. And that's the problem with this with this crappy system that we have, you know, and again, that the Republicans and Democrats in power have absolutely no interest in opening up competition. It's the most anti-competitive thing. And any true free market conservative should hate the idea, the fact that competition is being completely stifled by intrusive rules and regulations that don't let the market do its thing. Come on, Jay.
0: No, 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 no. I I, I don't think think this is uh is a a rule-based Issue, I think. It, I think it's just it's it's tough to get a third party off the ground because there. Look, if you actually had enough people to to rally around one specific issue, um, then maybe you could. Uh, but but we don't. We just don't tend to have that. And I'm I'm going to point out. So in the in the Reuters story, um, and this is again, I, I quoted bits of it because it's it struck me as sort of funny that. Uh, there were dozens of people on this call that's direct from there's dozens of former Republican officials. Um, and uh, you know, this was according to four people who wanted to remain anonymous uh, with the Reuters story. Um, and, you know, the, the, some of the, the folks who were identified on this call are household names like uh, Evan McMullen, uh, Charles, uh, Charlie Dent and uh, John McNick. Um, Charlie Dent was a congressman, I guess. I know uh, two of them, to,
1: so yeah. But, yeah, but again, but, but yeah. What,
0: but what my point is, and also according to the Reuters story, just over forty percent of the people on the call thought that there ought to be a breakaway party. So it's sort of like they they couldn't even break fifty percent on their own call to have a, a new party. Um, so I, I don't, I just don't see it 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 happening. And I think maybe the the Reuters story uh, uh, far be it for to say that the press is just trying to to stir the pot. And saying, "Oh, there might be a breakaway party." Uh, I I just don't see this this happening because who's going to do it? Who's going to lead it?
1: That's the thing that frustrates me. Is that you know people have been well, people like you and me, in part, and older than us, who've been around forever. So you know what? This is just the way things are. People are comfortable with it, and and that's just how it is. That just that just burns my ass. It really does. And I understand what you're saying, but it just seems so incredibly. I don't know, defeatist. Anyway, Olivia, what do you think well, about here's this? The,
0: well, let me let me just put: okay. if there were a a a third republic, a third a a center right party, who would be the leader or the candidate? Mitt Romney?
1: Well, let's hope not, because Mitt Romney is like 147 years old. You know, you want somebody. <laughs> he who's looks, older but than he you. looks like he looks a
0: lot younger. Yeah, he um, does look younger. But, he looks but my, my, my point is, yeah. Mitt Romney couldn't win when he had the whole party behind him.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying is because the rules are rigged, because as long Mm -hmm. as it's first past the post and as long as the Electoral College is winner take all, no one's ever going to see any point in voting for a third party candidate. And that's why something like what Maine is doing with ranked choice voting is so incredibly important. And I think that if we saw that adopted nationwide. We'd start to see people saying, you know what, I'm going to vote for this third party person first because I know that that's not going to be throwing away my vote or electing my worst nightmare. And then you could start to see some momentum building. Sure, it doesn't happen in a year or maybe even a, a decade, but it's something that all of a sudden it, make, it opens up the possibility. And, and that's what I think we need. We need more possibilities aside from this just sad, stale Democratic Republican thing we've had since the Civil War, for God's sakes.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I, my last, last piece, it, it is again somebody who's, who's worked on a lot of campaigns, is with this third party stuff, you, you need an infrastructure and you just don't have it. And that's, that's the other, the other uh, reason why third parties fail.
1: It, it just becomes this circular logic, right, as, well, you know, third parties won't get the votes because there's not the infrastructure. I mean, it, it, it just is this kind of vicious circle downward, essentially. And somebody at some point has to say, you know what, I'm going to commit to plunging all in and, you know, and, and giving some time and energy to something that I know is not going to work in the short term. And if people thought a little more long term, as opposed to just looking at the next election, maybe we'd be in a better position. I don't know. Uh, Livia, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm. You already know. I'm as passionate as you are about ranked choice voting, um, but also like my champion cause is abolish the electoral college. But um, and I think you know those two things would um, create a, a, a better chance of a third party, you know, um, being electable. But in this particular case, um, you know, like we said with with. I think even if there was ranked choice voting, um, you know, just the fact that the vast majority of Republicans, not the majority of the country, but the majority of Republicans do approve of Trump. um, I just don't think, you know, it's even going to happen. I don't think, I don't think that a center right party that is still calling themselves a Republican party, but just not like a Trump supporting Republican party. I just don't, I think Republicans, you know, especially Republican officials are smart enough to know that they're not going to get hardly any support. And that um, especially without ranked choice voting with the system that we have right now, um, all they're going to do is help the Democrats because they're they're just going to further divide um, the Republican vote, which I think is one of the big questions surrounding this. Like, would this be a good thing for Republicans or not? And I think it would be a great thing for Democrats if this happened to divide the vote, you know, to take even more votes away from, you know, a future Trump-like candidate. Um, But, you know, Republican officials are smart enough to know that this This is only going to hurt their party. And I think that even Mitt Romney, um, you know, would probably well, maybe not Mitt Romney, but I think that a lot of conservatives who don't support Trump or approve of Trump would still rather see um, any Republican leader win. A Republican candidate win, then see the Republican Party's vote um, split and and have, you know, most future elections go to the Democrats because of that. Yeah. So I just it's it's absolutely not viable to me and I don't think it's going to happen. And I, I think that even that 40 percent who was on the meeting who thought it was a good idea probably would, you know, um, would Change their mind in reality, or you know, realize that at least label themselves. They're going to rethink it
0: after they listen to the show. Well, like,
2: are, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, just to be clear, no, Olivia and I—that makes sense. Yeah, just to be clear, Olivia and I are very
1: much in support of this. We we, we want this to happen, right? Because right. No, and so.
0: But I, I would say, I mean, and if you if you dig a little deeper in, into that story, there's also discussion about well. What does this mean and is it necessarily third party? Or is it just uh hey, we'd we'd primary some people in some districts and others we wouldn't? Um and and it struck me that maybe what you end up is a little bit something like uh Clinton's uh, Democratic Leadership uh conference. Is that what he called it? DLC. Yeah.
1: Or like a I reverse T well, party. What did
0: the C stand for? It was it conference, coalition?
1: Uh DLC, uh dead uh- you know what Maybe, I'm talking uh, about? Yeah, the, uh, moderate no, it Democrats. Was essentially, basically. a
0: coalition but, of of more moderate Democrats. Yeah, it would centrist. be like, yeah,
1: it would be like the what the Tea Party did, except in reverse. You just like yeah, try to primary yeah. people. And who are, and,
0: yeah. and I think so. You may end up with something like that, and you may get a lot of people together for hey, let's let's uh, focus on um, uh, electing someone who is. One principal conservative, uh, uh, center right, you know, non-Trumpian, but also someone who can win. So it's sort of you know you do you you pick your battles, um, and and you pick up seats where you can. So example in suburban districts, uh, yeah, you would uh, you would challenge a, a Trump uh, a Trumpian supporter who's who's less likely to win. And so I I can see that very much that that type thing evolving. Um, And I think it's it's probably probably is evolving and there are probably other conversations going on um, outside of these couple dozen guys and um, uh, McMullen and Mitnick and and uh, and so forth um, who uh, who who may be working on that. So I, I think that's the much more likely route as opposed to a new party, just sort of a little faction slash coalition that that tries to move things a little more to the center. Yeah. We're maybe not even not center, but away from Trump. That would be OK. Yeah. Hey, uh, we're going
1: to take one more quick break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about some investigations from the state of Georgia, or at least in Georgia, into well, attempts to subvert the election by, well,
0: you know who. And that's just in one minute. So, uh, as Mike said, uh, the Georgia prosecutor. Um, uh, Fannie Willis, uh, of uh, Fulton County, which is, uh, Georgia's most populous County, uh, is, uh, has sent a letter. It's, it's what you call a, uh, um, record retention letter saying, Hey, we want you to preserve preservation of evidence, preserve the evidence, um, regarding a uh, potential criminal investigation into Donald Trump, uh, for election crimes. Uh, for example, solicitation of election fraud, uh, in his, his, uh, what some would say attempt and uh, his, his find phone the votes. call with pardon? <laughs> find the votes, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, to, uh, uh, you know, subvert uh, the, the uh, Georgia's election. Um, the other piece, and I'm also going to mention this. I don't know whether you saw this too, Mike, but also at the same time, the Georgia state election board uh, voted three to nothing with one Democrat abstaining and uh, Brad Raffsenberger, a Republican secretary, of state, also abstaining. Uh, to open an investigation into Raphael Warnock's uh, involvement in the uh, New Georgia Project, uh, which also had to do with uh, voter uh, fraud, signing up voters who weren't eligible, etc. So first, I guess I, I go to the the uh, Trump case, the the prosecution. Um, you know, Mike, I'd, I'll, I'll lead off with with you on this. Is as, as far as do you think there is something? Uh, they're there, or uh, uh, is this just sort of political stunt
1: i i think, both I, I think it's uh Trump would employ the costanza defense right it's uh, it 's not a lie if you right. believe it essentially, and so based on what i heard what, i mean i read the transcript of the calls that that was released, and essentially it seemed like the the, the president. President Trump at the time he believed he seemed to at least indicate that he believed that the votes were there, and by finding the votes he meant, there is so much fraud to choose from. Just choose right. whatever fraud you want to find, and that 's okay because we have more than the votes we won this election legitimately and and you know the Secretary of State said, "Well, your facts are wrong." And he said, oh, well, no, they're not, you know, essentially. But, yeah. but, but to me, especially the Secretary of State's investigation, it's just an administrative thing. Basically, they, they investigate all complaints. I don't see any of this going anywhere. I mean, I, certainly I think Donald Trump tried to influence the election. But I also think that, and this is maybe a scarier thing, is that Donald Trump legitimately believes that he won the 2020 presidential election in a landslide. And yeah. wow, the the thought that we, we came reasonably close to having a man who's that delusional, sir, for four more years. You know, Olivia said you said you're pessimistic and that. If that doesn't make you even more pessimistic, I, I don't know what does. Well, I'd say it's, it's, it's got to get better, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, what do you think, Olivia?
2: Well, I honestly I don't I with, I struggle with Trump because I don't know how much he believes or. I don't know how ignorant I think he is or how (laughs) ignorant I think he thinks his supporters are, to be honest. I think that he has taken advantage of the fact that he knows that his supporters will just kind of believe and buy into everything he says. And actually, I was looking at a listener question. Somebody asked about the critical thinking skills of people who um, attended people like those who attended the insurrection. Um, And I definitely think it's, you know, lacking in some of his base. I'm not saying all of his base. You know, I would I'm not going to say that. But I think that he knows that, you know, there is this this devout loyalty to him um, and that he can basically say whatever he wants and and a good portion of the country is going to buy into it. Um, And so I honestly don't know if I think that he believes wholeheartedly that he won by a landslide, but I do think that he knows that if he keeps saying it, enough of the country is going to believe it to do something about it, which is ultimately what we ended up seeing happening January 6th. So um, that certainly is frightening and makes me feel pessimistic, but I'm still on the fence on whether I think he's that delusional um, or if he just is that manipulative of, of his supporters. I I don't think
1: it's necessarily an either, or I say that I say that Donald Trump is both delusional and manipulative, you know? So, so Jay, what do you think?
0: So, you know, I would I would would, my thinking was up until was it January 2nd, January 3rd, the date (laughs) the transcript of that phone call was released. uh, I was very much in the Olivia camp uh, that this was cynical posturing. Um, It was just the Donald Trumpian sort of, uh, you know, make these huge, big statements and, and know that, you know, no one's. You know, again, he he knows he's he knows he's bullshitting. Most people know he is, but you know, a lot of people uh, will will still buy into it. Um, but after I I read the transcript, uh, which was a call that was was recorded presumably without his knowledge, although I look, I, I'd expected, you know, I would have. If
1: you're president, you got to assume it. that people are recording your calls. I mean, gosh, well, I don't know. I'm you, sure. You'd
2: think, but I, I don't sure know. Would. But uh, but, he lacks the critical thinking skills. I don't know.
0: So so yeah, but I I think this there was a sense that this was not stuff that was said at a rally or um, um, you know tweeted. Uh, This was something that was said in what he believed or probably thought was a private conversation between him and another Republican official uh, and his attorneys. uh, and didn 't expect it to be made public and and to me reading that and the way he spoke um, in that that uh, in that phone call, uh, I came away with the impression that yeah, he really believes this um, it 's not just cynical he 's he 's making this up um, he he really in, in his mind he, he was not doing anything wrong by making the phone call in fact, he was doing everything right. Uh, in trying to prevent the fraud that he he fervently believed existed. And if you read the transcript and I encourage everybody to go back and find it and read it, because there's also this mm-hmm. some just really fun stuff, um, especially if you're a lawyer of, of his lawyers who sort of intervene here and there uh, with Rapsenberger. And, and, you know, it seems there were sort of two purposes for the call. On the one hand, the lawyers were asking for uh, some information from the secretary of state's office and how it could be provided that might support Trump's claims. Whereas Trump was saying, find the votes, Um, and and it's it's sort of funny if Trump you know weighs in for a while and and goes on to find the votes, and the attorneys sort of jump back in and say, yeah, what we're looking for is if you could just get us a list of uh, pay no attention to our clients, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. uh (laughs) Um, So so yeah, again, it starts off. with there is there is sort of a a you know sort of what I would say straight ahead legitimate you know purpose there uh, on that on that call. And then Trump sort of hijacks it and it, it gets crazy. And a couple times times uh, the attorneys try to steer it back to non-crazy, but uh, they, they sort of failed to do that. Um, so that, I mean, that's, again, I, I'm, I'm not a, a, a psychiatrist, psychologist, or, or, you know, uh, trained to diagnose him, but, but that's, that's what I read is uh, he's being just plain candid in a, in a conversation that he thought was uh not, yeah. not for public consumption and i think he really believed it and, and you know so, certainly
1: it, it can start any kind of situation can start out where you uh you don't necessarily believe something but you surround yourself with people who find it in their best interest to try to convince you of that yeah. you know and mm-hmm. eventually you start to actually believe your own bs and that's when you maybe become the most dangerous i don't know but
0: uh, no i i do have so a little uh, something that that i i find troubling and i want to bounce it off you you two as far as um, you know, here we are in in February of twenty twenty one, and Trump's being impeached again. Um, I, in all likelihood, I'll, I'll lay down a wager that one year from now, uh, we'll be talking about a Trump criminal trial from somewhere, some someone, mm-hmm. somewhere. Um, and and I think that well, so. that that troubles me a little bit. But
1: I, I want I, to get. I hope so because uh, I won't say I hope so, but I mean there are plenty of state charges uh, against him. Lock her, her up. Lock well, No, I mean lock somebody up for things that they've done that are actually criminal. It seems to me the criminal well, charges,
0: mishandling confidential uh, intelligence. Is no, I'm,
1: I'm, ta- I'm talking about the financial stuff with the Trump organization, which seems to right. be just rife with Trumpian corruption, based mm-hmm. on some stuff that we heard. So, no, I'm not saying that. I don't think that Donald Trump uh, will be locked up for anything involving his presidency per se, but his organization, which there seem to be some, you know, some credible allegations of shenanigans going on there, then yeah, if that's legitimate, I I would think that you would, you would want him to be tried for that. And if it actually, there's, you know, proof beyond a reasonable doubt, you'd want him to be found guilty, no?
0: Yeah, I think so. But there's, there's also the, the dynamic, and this is something that's new, um, fairly new, uh, in that look there there will be a you will have various county prosecutors uh in in liberal districts um uh stumbling over themselves uh trying to get indictments out to uh against donald trump um it has It has been said, and I think uh, truthfully so that uh you know you can indict a ham sandwich um and and there's a lot of sandwiches out there in in the trump world uh to to indict um i, I guess I, I my 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 problem is um is is this uh does this does this ring of sort of a locker up type thing that that we would you know the, prosecute uh former officials
1: i don't think or so it's a whole different thing i don't i think it's a i think it's a false i think it's a false comparison because Uh, The lock her up for Hillary Clinton, that involved her exercise of her official duties as a secretary of state. Now, the stuff with Donald Trump, all the as well as. As far as I am aware, all the significant uh, charges against him, and that's mostly, I believe, in New York, involve his financial dealings, not as a public official, pre-existing financial. Right, stuff. and so right. that's an entirely different thing. And so I don't think I don't think Donald Trump, uh, the head of the Trump Organization, should get a pass simply because he happened to be a former president of the United States. And I don't imagine you would either.
0: No, and fair enough. And I think that's I think that's a that's a good line to draw. Uh, but, but what do you do with, uh, Fannie Willis and Fulton County? Because there will be more of those.
1: I I don't, I don't think so many. I I think you're, I think you're overestimating at least to the extent that they're going to go anywhere.
0: Oh my gosh. No, but they don't don't have to go anywhere. Right. Because here's the thing is you can get an indictment pretty easily. And I I would say there will be plenty of prosecutors who will be concerned about a uh, challenge from their left. Uh, because, uh, look, they didn't indict Donald Trump for for something or other. I'll,
1: I'll take a bet with you on that. I don't think there's going to be more than a couple of these things. So I think you're entirely wrong on that. And we'll okay. see six months from now or a year from now. We'll have to try to. I'm sure there's a Trump indictment tracker out there somewhere. Um, there will be. The you know, New York Times should do it. But uh, I, I'm pretty sure that you're wrong on this. Uh, but Olivia, what do you think?
2: So I um, I think that trump foresees definitely um some criminal charges coming his way and i honestly feel that you know and and back to what i was saying about whether or not he truly thinks he won um i do think that you know and he's been diagnosed by many psychologists as um narcissistic so i think that there is you know that chance that he really is just i mean so inflated with himself um, <laughs> i'm that, just
0: gonna jump in to say here right. um don't need a weatherman to tell which way the wind blows. No, yeah, right. Yeah. right,
2: right, right. <laughs> Easiest <laughs> um,
1: diagnosis ever. Right.
0: Yes.
2: Yeah. Right. And so yeah, I mean, I'm sure that part of him does believe it, but um I also think that part of why he is clinging to power, at least was clinging to power so fiercely. Um and And even, you know, spreading such, you know, huge baseless allegations about um, voter fraud and everything is because he knew that once he's no longer um, in office, he's going to face these um, criminal charges for what, you know, everything that happened prior to the presidency. Um, And so I think he sees that coming. But also, um, you know, I think there, there's the two arguments that I've kind of seen on the Democratic side, um, especially like in the media, is that number one, we like uh, like Dr. B said, sorry, I'm, I know you're Mike on this show, but <laughs> <laughs> you're Dr. B to me. Um, but like you said, you know, he has to be held accountable and he shouldn't be prote- protected just because he is the former president um, for especially for crimes that happened prior to the presidency. Um, and we have to send a message um, and set a precedent of holding official accountable. Um, If we set this precedent that, you know, Donald Trump is not held accountable for anything, then future populists are going to, you know, see that and feel the same way and the same thing's going to happen for them. But the other problem that we have is that the more that Trump's in the media and the more he's being attacked and the more attention he gets, um, you know, even if it is a year from now that we're seeing these criminal charges, um, there's that fear of him continuing to be like this martyr for the Republican Party. And the more that he's attacked, the stronger his base grows and their support for him. And that's scary to me that, you know, if he's still in the media and he's still this this, you know, name that we're hearing left and right all over the news um, in a year from now, you know, there is going to be that that martyrdom that his support that his base is going to, you know, feel for him. And that might even lead to, you know, strong support for even if he doesn't run again, Um, even like if his son, there's been talks of his son running or just, you know, other kids candidates who were um Trump allies and Trump supporters i just think you know i don't think that that outweighs the need for accountability and i still think it's you know regardless of that it's important that he's held accountable um for prior crimes but that is like uh, kind of my fear is that you know if he's still in the news a year from now and being attacked again by what people will see as like a democratic agenda you know um it, that's just going to keep him in the public eye and keep his base rallied around him even longer
1: And that's, I think that's a certainly a reasonable fear. And uh, And Mike,
0: I I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll interrupt you, but I want to interrupt. No, (laughs) I think there, I think there's, there's also reasonable concern among some Democrats that, uh, okay, it's, it's all the Trump bashing is all well and good right now, but a year from now, uh, if this keeps going on, it, there, there might be some disenchantment. Like, look, we've seen this movie a couple times before. Um, can we, can we move on with, uh, democratic policy issues? That sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, – and that's not unreasonable. You've, I mean there are other things to do aside from call Donald Trump to account for his many, his many sins and offenses. And it is sort of a, a difficult balancing act on both sides, I think. But with that, we will uh, close. And uh, But before we do, I want to thank our newest Patreon supporters, Marina, Romana, Greg, and Carl, who increased his level of support. And just as you know, as a Patreon supporter, you get that second full-length episode every week which this week is free to everyone as i mentioned you also get ad free versions of all of our shows other stuff as well go to patreon.com slash to check it out and again uh, if you are interested in uh, uh, contributing to our uh, campaign to raise money to replace our podcast production computer you can do that through paypal the links in the show notes or on venmo where we're at politics guys And as always, if you want to get our weekly midweek bonus show, but you can't afford to support the show financially, Totally not a problem. Just send me an email, Mike at PoliticsGuys.com, and I will get you set up. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, we would appreciate that, as well as leaving ratings and reviews, and especially if you could share episodes on social media. And as always, if you want to get in touch with us, we're at mail at PoliticsGuys.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. The executive producers of the Politics Guys are Bruce Johnson, Wilma Moreno, Andre Masker, Daniel Toe, Chris Wilkerson, and Nathan Sosnowski. We'll be back with a new show next week. We hope you'll join us.